0: hi it's molly i just wanted to take a moment to say thank you thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the xl books podcast i believe you're in for a treat so without further ado let's get right into the episode Back to the Excel Books podcast. It's your favorite host, Molly, and on my show, we like to talk about work, family, and life. You're not new to my channel. You're not new because you're here all the time, and you give me so much joy. So, thank you for continuing to listen. Um, and if you are new, if you happen to be new, if you're that special person that I just got introduced to, welcome, 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 welcome. So glad to have you on the show today. So you guys know I like to jump right in, but before I jump right in, I want to give you guys just a quick update on me. And I know a lot of people have been asking and I've been getting messages and pings and texts and emails and how are you doing, Molly? Are you okay? And what's going on? You know, last time you said you were getting better, you know, are you, are you a hundred percent now? You know, what's going on? Well, I'm going to just be transparent. I am probably about 90%, which is saying a lot, like saying a lot. So when I say 90%, what do I mean by that? What What is 90% for me? So if you've been tuning in, you've been listening on my show, you know that I have been dealing with the trauma of car accidents, uh, both from last year, both from um, my husband, unfortunately, being in one this year and from uh, just past accidents, which you didn't know, but I've been through multiple car accidents from childhood on up. So I have a lot of scarring, uh, a lot of body memory of, of, of these accidents. And it's been really challenging for me to deal with. And I literally just, you know, uh, crept away from everyone so that I could process In whatever way I needed to to be a healthier me and not because I don't like people and not because people don't have something great to contribute but because I know that if I am around people when I am not mentally ready to be around people I burn bridges in a worse way if that makes any sense and I did cover like an entire episode on being an introvert. So if you're curious and you're like, "What do you mean burning bridges? Why do you have to be by yourself?" Go back and listen to my episode on being an introvert, and I think that will help you. So I'm doing much better. I went through something called EMDR. I touched on it in the last episode. Uh, this eye movement desensitization uh, sensitization and. Reprocessing, and won't go through the whole method, but it's kind of like a um, a therapist patient led, a uh, therapist led thing, where they kind of take you through a series of movements and behaviors and things to help you really remember what happened and to reprocess how you think about that particular memory. It really did wonders for me. I was actually really surprised at how much improvement it did for me. I actually ended up having no nightmares, which was surprising. I did have flashbacks, but not of the particular accident that I went through the EMDR for. I started remembering some older things, but I noticed that I was able to be in a car. I was able to um, drive a car. I still have a lot of anxiety that I feel when I'm in it, but it's not as extreme it's not like it was before where just being in the house hearing the sound of wheels down the street made me scream and jump was what it was before now I can say okay I'm good I just need a little bit more therapy a little bit more of this a little bit longer a little you know some things just to help me really hone in the peace of mind when I'm in the car so um at this point I'm, I'm not ready to do a long distance travel in the car yet but i feel like with a little bit more treatment i can actually get there so i wanted to tell you guys that um my hubby is doing great he still has some scars which i don't like and i don't know they may be just permanent scars but he is doing so much better than he was so much better he's up and moving. He's still taking it easy and not doing anything crazy. He's not, you know, he's not trying to move furniture or anything like that. He's taking care of himself. Um, but finally things are starting to look up. Um, and we're finally starting to get some results in the case that happened to us. So we are doing well. All right. That was your five minute recap on what's going on with Molly. Now I want to talk to you about something, that I haven't talked about but I noticed it as I was processing my emotions as I was going through therapy and just realizing something so as you know I have the world's most amazing children I have two fantastic boys two teenagers and something interesting happened something interesting happened for me so I was taking my son to therapy and long story short was, it dawned on me through, you know, reference and conversation and everything. And I thought, wait a minute, what if my kid decides he wants to move out as soon as he turns 18? What in the world am I gonna do with my life? So (laughs) I really, realized that this was really bothering me and I had to go on a bit of a little bit of a mental journey and this is a journey that I'm still on okay so this is not a journey that I've been going through for months this is not something that I have years of seasoned wisdom on this is something that is fresh hot off the press like oh my gosh what do I do so the thought of realizing that my son may actually want to move out and he's 18. Like he may not want to live with us anymore. It's it's crazy. Like I didn't really think about it. And let me tell you a little bit of a backstory about why this is so much for me and what this feeling is that I'm actually feeling because I believe there's a lot of people out there, well I know there's a lot of people out there that experience this and I want to just kind of give the backstory why it's impacting me. And I think before I give you that backstory, I'm going to tell you what it is that I'm feeling. What is this emotion? What is this anxiety? This discomfort? This uh, icky feeling about my kid, you know, moving out. It's called empty nest syndrome. Now, what's interesting about this is that a lot of people don't really treat you or diagnose you as having emptiness syndrome until the child actually moves out. But did you know you could have empty nest syndrome early? Yes. It's called anticipatory early nest syndrome. Meaning you know it's coming. It hasn't happened yet, but you can feel it. And you're feeling all the things, all the emotions, all the doubts, all the, oh my gosh, what's happening? All of those different things. You're feeling those things early and that's normal. Um, the challenge is not so much in identifying what you're feeling. It's how to deal with those feelings once you get there. And I've learned the one thing I do know is that to get to the solution of any problem, you got to get to the root of the cause first. You got to get to the root of why it's so strong in you. So I had to go take a trip down memory lane, And think about what it is that makes the thought of my kids not being with me so severe. And to do that, I thought about our experience when I had them. I still remember the day that I found out crystal clear, the day that I found out that there was a little person inside my belly. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, this is not the flu. There's a person growing in there. How is that going to work? And it's not that I didn't know. It's not that I didn't have the birds and the bees talk. It's not that I didn't watch documentaries and videos. But it's different when you have head knowledge versus heart knowledge. Experience versus, you know, know know-how are two different things. I can read a book and say I know how to, you know, comprehend sentences. But it's different when you hear someone talking to you verbatim and then you're comprehending what they say. Two different things. That's what was happening with me when I realized I was having this kid. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's a little person in me. And what was really interesting was my pregnancy was unique, in my opinion. And it was unique because I was alone for 95% of my pregnancy. I did not have support. I didn't have someone who was there to cook meals or clean or visit me or take me to doctor appointments. I was pregnant in the middle of the snow. Like, I'm going to appointments in snow boots by myself. Um, my husband had just been deployed. Like, I was going through a lot. And it was really rough. And But one of the positive things about that season is that I created a bond, or a bond developed, that I never thought was going to happen. I never even imagined it. As soon as I, it was confirmed and I had medical proof I'm not talking a blood test I'm talking we had to go in and we did an ultrasound and I said yep I could see it right there that's where he's forming you know your baby's forming we thought it was a topic. you're okay but you're high risk please rest and take it easy because this person's growing in you and I remember immediately bonding with an unknown child and I, I said it's you and me kid you and me you and me against the world. We're going to do everything together. I talked to my baby about everything. Heck, I talked to my baby when I went to the bathroom. (laughs) I'd be in the bathroom. I'm like, okay, I'm not pushing you out. I just have to pee. You know, like that was the kind of talks that I would have. I talked to my baby when we ate and said, what do we want to eat today? Do you feel like this? Do you feel like eating potatoes today? um, do you want fruit? Do you want a salad? What do you want to eat? Like, I would ask my baby what they want to eat. We would listen to music. We would watch TV I'd say, hey, do you want to watch this? I know you can't see it yet, but I can describe it. And I would play sounds for my baby. We would look out the window. I would talk about my dreams for my child. And I talked about, you know, what I was hoping for their future, who they would marry when they have their own kids, where we, where we're from. I told, my baby about the skills and strengths that run in our family that it's not a new thing that we all have this and I bonded with my child and at that moment everything in my world was about this child and to be truthful when you go to the doctor and you you know get these medical advices they tell you okay right now you are no longer eating and acting for just you You are now eating and acting for two. This is your life now. And I took that to heart as a mom. And I believe many moms take it to heart. They don't look at it and say, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, I don't want to do anything about this child. That's not it. They're like, okay, well, how I eat, how I dress, when I get up, when I don't, um, how I travel, everything, how I do my hair. Like, all of it impacts another person now. And you immediately, for nine months, get accustomed to building your life around someone else's needs. So even if you were a selfish person before, when you become pregnant, you start saying, Okay, everything I do is about this kid. And you embrace it. And you love it. And you become one with this kid. Every tear, every smile, every coup, every step every single layer of their life becomes part of your world you take jobs based on your kids needs you move to certain cities based on your kids needs you buy houses based on your kids needs you you know you style your hair certain ways so your kid doesn't pull it out like every aspect of you gets sucked into the world of this beautiful little person and when you're a young parent, everybody's like, yeah, that's what it should be. Right now, you're not getting any sleep because it's all about that baby. Yeah, right now, you can't put them in daycare yet because it's all about that baby. Like, you get used to it, and everybody supports it. And then, all of a sudden, they grow up. And not a little bit, but they get close to graduating from high school stage. They're no longer in the coos. They're no longer in the, you know, mommy up more. You know, there's no, no more of that. And they grow up, and they become young men or young ladies they have dreams aspirations their own goals their own taste their own music their own things they want to do and then all of a sudden you're told you need to start letting go and for some people and and this is why I say some because I believe some people are really in denial I think that they put on a front like oh I can't wait till my kids go And then as soon as they're gone, they're just falling apart. You know, they're like, yep, I'm remodeling your room. And I do all that. But it hits them later. I'm one of those people where I feel things right away. And I wear my feelings on my sleeve, so I can't hide them. Um, I am an open book. So if you see my face, you know exactly how I'm feeling. So I got a a wake-up call realizing that my kid was going. And I'll be honest, I was a little... Offended, at how easily everybody was like, "Hey, you need to uh, start letting go. You're gonna be an empty nester soon." And I'm like, "No, no, 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 don't, no, we're we're not doing the empty nest thing. These are my kids. I'm, I'm their mom." And then everybody says, "Yeah, well, you gotta, you know, live your life." I haven't had a life for almost two decades. From the minute this person showed up in my belly, my life was no longer my own. And I became used to it. I've made life decisions based off of this child, where I'm going to live, what kind of job I'm going to have, what kind of cars I get, um, what kind of extracurricular activities I do, what kind of music I play, what kind of books I read, what kind of movies I listen to, um, you know, or, or see. All of these things have been adjusted and I've been doing this. For, you know, for me, you know, I count how old my son is, plus the, you know, the almost year he was in my belly. So, you know, it's been about 16 going on 17 years. And now they're telling me I have to start letting go. I don't, that's not an easy thing to do. At least not for me. And I I literally was struggling and I was like, how do I deal with this? And I decided to start, like I said, I went back on memory lane to find out where it was all coming from. It came from this bomb that I had in the beginning. And then I said, okay, well, let's accept how I actually feel. Let's start by acknowledging my voice. And I'm saying this because when it comes to emptiness syndrome or anything that you're dealing with, acknowledging your voice is key. It is not enough to just be like, oh, well, I just have to deal. No. What do you feel? You have a right to feel what you feel. It's okay not to be okay. And so I literally stopped and said, Okay, Molly, how do you feel about this? And as I sat and was honest with myself, I said, You know what? I feel half and half. On one hand, I'm extremely honored and proud of my kid that he would want to brave this world on his own despite everything Despite all the things that have happened, despite all the mornings and lessons and all these things, um, I felt like the, I felt like the evil lady from um, Tangled and she's, you know, singing around with her. And she's like, mama knows best. She's like, she's like, huh, oh, they'll eat you alive. You know, anything to keep them in the, in the, the tower. And I don't, I would never keep my kids in a tower, but you get my drift. I remember thinking, I've explained a lot of things that are in the world. I've adjusted their school experience because of the world. We've prayed, we've taught, we've done all kinds of things, and yet he's brave enough to do it. I'm like, wow. I respect that. I'm so proud. But on the other hand, I'm like, but what about me? I want no more hugs goodnight every night. No more, hey, how's your day? no more hey did you eat breakfast this morning I bought you some of your favorite stuff no more hey we've got practice you know did you go rehearse earlier like just like that no more hey it's time to go to church you know don't forget this or don't forget you got this going on like I don't I have to turn all of that off just like that I'm not ready I'm not ready and just accepting those feelings helped me a little bit. Now, it's, like I said, I have a long way to go. I still got at least two, two to three more years before my son graduates from high school and chooses at that point if he wants to move out right away or not. Long way to go. But acknowledging my own feelings was a good step in getting out of the emotional uh, downed, depressed kind of state, if you will. The last thing I will say on this, you know, so I gave you a couple tips. I said, one, you know, find out where the root cause came from to, you know, give yourself a voice. Um, three, make small steps towards letting go. And it doesn't have to be immediate. It can be in little bite-sized chunks, small steps. Um, but I'm going to say this. I, I was going to say that's number three. What I just told you, we're going to make that number four. Number three is have a talk with your kid. And why do I say that? I actually did this. I did this. I spoke with my, I called my kid in the room and I said, hey, I want to talk to you for just a brief minute. And I said, I want you to know I'm realizing that you might want to move away when you graduate. And I just want you to know that I'm I'm struggling a little bit emotion-wise. On one hand, I'm so proud of you, I couldn't be happier that you feel strong enough to to brave the world. On the other hand, I'm really broken up about it. I'm sad. I don't want to think about what it's like to wake up and not have you in the house. What am I supposed to do with my life? I don't have a life without my kids. I don't know who I am. Outside of them, that has been my life for almost two decades. So it's a lot of self-discovery that has to happen, a lot. What am I going to do? What am I going to do in my old age? You know, I can't call them and be like, hey, come help me, you know, get some milk upstairs or, you know, none of that. It's like, oh, my helpers are gone. I have to go back to pulling the, you know, rolling the trash out, you know, the house, all these little things. And I had this honest talk with my kid. And by doing that, you, I think you kind of remove some of the awkwardness. I've seen. I actually watched this with my mother, and um, <laughs> I hope she doesn't feel bad if, she, if she's hearing this. But I actually watched this with my mother, where she didn't handle it very well. with The first three of us, you know, she's got six kids, and the first three of us, you know, that empty nest syndrome it hit her like a ton of bricks, and she was not doing well. Like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going away. You can't go. Yes, I can. I can. I'm. I'm old enough. I can. I can handle it. I can. I can try and I remember like it didn't go very well she's kind of like you want to go fine go here's all your stuff don't come back I've remodeled your room blah 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 and it was the awkwardness because we never had that talk we never got to have the talk of hey I'm really struggling with you moving away how do we deal with this you know um having the talk is powerful um so that's step number three. So we talked about, you know, hey, get to the root of it. Acknowledge your voice. Talk to your kid so it doesn't become this awkward thing later on. And talk to them early. Don't wait till the last second. Don't wait till graduation day and be like, all right, you're graduated. So are you planning on moving out? That is not when you have that talk because then they're going to feel even more awkward. They, they feel like they kind of have to go, you know, don't do that talk to them early, give them a chance to say how they feel, what they want. Their feelings may change. It may not change. It doesn't really matter which direction they go, but have the talk. It'll save a lot of anxiety. I think had my mom and I had that talk when I was younger be long before I decided to live on the college campus, I think things would have gone a little bit more smooth. Um, You know, but We learn from our mistakes, right? Um, One of the other things you want to do is get support. Immediately seek support. And that is what I did. So that is your step four is to seek support. So the step four that I did was I went straight to my therapist and said, Hey, I am feeling the empty nest syndrome early. I'm struggling. Help. Help. (laughs) <laughs> like, I don't know how to deal with this. I immediately spoke with my husband and said, hey, I'm dealing with this emptiness syndrome now, and I'm, I'm terrified. I don't want to think about them not being here. What if they need me? What if, I don't know, what if the day gets hard? What if he has a hard day at work? How's he going to handle getting to and from locations? Or if he gets the wrong... Around the wrong crowd. What if he makes wrong decisions in college? What if he doesn't want to go to college? What if he wants to go on? You know, all kinds of things. Seeking support early helps you deal with anxiety before it becomes unmanageable. And it was so nice to be able to talk with my husband and have that reality. And I love one of the tips that he gave me in the beginning, where he said, "You know what? Um, Letting go is not a all-or-nothing process." And it is not something that happens right away. And I was like, oh. And that really helped because by gaining that support, I learned that, okay, I don't have to fully go away as a mom. I'm just, my role, my responsibilities are just getting less. That's all. I'm always mom. I'm always here. But I just won't be doing as many things, you know? I'll be here when they need me and that will be my my mission so get support um that really helps and the last thing because I said it earlier that it was four but now it's five <laughs> um is find small baby steps for letting go little by little you don't need to do something every day you know you don't need to make a list be like okay I gotta get used to not calling them for this and this and this and this. this. No, just start with baby steps. So like one of the things I'm doing for baby steps, because I just can't do a whole lot right now because emotionally I'm still very raw and all over the place. I decided to do two things and I think these are great starting points. So number one was I said, I'm going to start with giving them a little bit more freedom when they're out around people their age. When I say a little bit more freedom, I don't mean like abandoning them. I don't mean like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to take them places. No, I mean like, instead of rushing in to get them the second that their group is over, let me give them a few more minutes. If I see them talking with another kid, let me back up a little bit. Let me give it another five, six, seven minutes. You know, a way to give them some space, give him time to interact with others. Um, trying to give them more freedom in their decisions. You know, if they have money to do something and they say they really want to get this, okay, great. You can order it. As long as you can afford it, you can have it. Um, letting them fall a little bit. And that's like the hardest part. Um, and what do I mean by that? If I know that my kid has only $20 in his account and he's trying to buy something that's $25 instead of, you know, mommy to the rescue. You can't afford that. Pick something that's $18.95. Instead of that, I'm like, okay, go for it. And let him discover the mistake. Let him learn from it. Let him um, figure out what he needs to do. Let him ask for the help if he wants it. One of the biggest things I did this week, actually today, to work on letting go, was allowing my kids to buy something they wanted, and I intentionally stayed several uh, kiosks away. So we went to Walmart, and my son wanted a drink, and my other son wanted um, a different kind of drink, I think they wanted sodas or something. And they were trying to buy it with their card. They had money in their card. And I hadn't had them use that machine on their own before. Normally, if it takes more than about a minute or two, like a hawk, I'm sweeping in. Hey, what's going on? You need help? Here, start. And I start volunteering help before they even ask. Today, I held back. I stood about three kiosks away. And just watched from a distance. Like a helpless mama hen. uh, But I sat from a distance and watched. And let them do what they needed to do. Waited a couple minutes. A little bit longer than I normally would. I looked for cues that they might want help. And until they asked for it, I was going to keep my distance. And let them have this experience. Those are subtle ways to help you prepare for empty nest syndrome before it happens. The last part of that, because I said there were two things I was doing as a baby step. The last part of that baby step is I'm making a list. A list of things that are positives about the moving out and opportunities for the moving out. I'm calling it opportunities to intentionally be more positive about it. Because if not, I'll go down a negative rabbit hole. Um, But I literally said, okay, I'm going to list all the great things about the moving out and the not so great things, but I'm going to call those not so great things opportunities. Things like, hmm, I'll have to roll the trash out again. Okay, what can I do to make it more convenient for me? Do I need to invest in making a sidewalk path? So it's easier for me to walk? Do I need to move where I station them? Do I need to change the timing? You know, what do I need to do? Um, I had to think about things like, okay, I won't be able to sit and watch the favorite shows and know what they're into anymore. I'll have to call and check on them. But I'll have uh, more privacy. I'll have more me time. Whatever it is those things are, pluses, minuses, whatever you find is positive whatever you find is not positive. Write those things down and put that list somewhere that you can see it. I'm going to do that this week so that I can see visibly what to look forward to when they go and what areas I can be working on. And I'm going to be very generous with my what to work on side of the list so that when I go to my support system, my support groups, my therapist, whoever it is, and I say, I'm struggling, I can point I'm struggling with this one, number 18, you know, um, family gatherings, you know, holidays, how do I deal with that when my kid doesn't want to come home for the holiday? You know, how do I support them without badgering or sounding demanding? You know, how do I let them be adults without trying to save them from every mistake, you know, or whatever it is. If you have that, then you have a point of reference for others to support you. It's one of the biggest challenges with any kind of mental challenge that people have is that no one can read your mind. They don't know what you're struggling with. They don't know what you're feeling. They don't know any of that. So if you do it early, before it happens, and you have it visibly, then people can look at it and say, oh, that's what you're struggling with. Okay, let's work on that. So the last part I want to talk about this is really what it means to have emptiness syndrome, you know, feelings when you either A, have a... Child with unique needs, or maybe you have a child, uh, an an adult child who just never moved out uh, because they were afraid of the world and things of that nature. I want to first say that my heart goes out to you. I can only imagine how challenging that must be. I can't speak to adult children. Uh, living in the home because that has not happened to me personally. But I can speak to the unique needs of a child, you know, children with special needs moving out. Both of my children are autistic and I have been concerned about them going out into the world since the day they, you know, they were diagnosed. I thought, oh God, how's the world going to treat them? Will they be able to get a job? Will they be able to handle peer pressure? Will they be able to handle things like weather and cooking and all these different things? And I will say this, I will say this, if you have a child with unique needs and they want to move out, empower them to do so. And I'm telling you this as I'm struggling to do it myself do I want my special needs kids to move out no I think they need mommy every single day but I also know that they're not little kids anymore and the fact that they're saying they want to move out is a sign it's really a badge of honor for you as a parent to say wow you did such a good job you raised them strong enough to feel like they can handle it don't limit your child Because of your own fear. This is something my husband and I have been working on for years. We don't constantly tell them that they're autistic. We don't tell them that they're less than or that they have limitations. You know, we let them know what they're dealing with so they're not oblivious. But we don't use it as a crutch for them. And when it comes to empty nesters, that's another area that you don't want to make a crutch for. Don't hold your child back. If they're saying, hey mom, I'm 16, I'm 17, I know I have autism or I know I have ADHD or I know I have Asperger's or whatever the illness is, but they think they can handle it, then help empower them to do so. And this is not just for them, it's really for you. And I'll say this and then I'll I'll, I'll let you guys go. Why is this for you? It is for you because you don't know what the future holds. The last thing you want is to be up in age, you know, your late, you know, I don't know, 60s, 70s or incapacitated. Whatever age range for you feels like too much. And then have a child still living at home solely dependent on you. What happens when you go home to be with the Lord? Then what? They never had a chance to live on their own, make mistakes, ask questions, start over, um, use the resources that are out there to, to help them survive. If you don't give them the chance to go out and do it, they will never learn it. Some people can't learn from head knowledge alone. Some kids need more than just a book and a video and a long talk. Some people need more than a teacher to give them the, the information. They need to actually fail and then feel the sting of the failure and then that brings strength into them and then they rise up and they do better the next time around. But if you shield them from life and forbid them to go, they'll never be able to be an independent, healthy adult. And when you go on to be with the Lord, then they'll struggle and have to go into a system or something because you didn't prepare them to live on their own. So like I said, it's just for those that are saying, hey, I want to live on my own. I know I have challenges, but I want to try. Support them in that. That's what we're doing with our kid. We're coming up with all kinds of ways of, okay, how do we support his dream of moving out on his own and having his own life in spite of the the challenges that he's dealing with health-wise or mental-wise? And what's going to happen, you know, and and I don't know, he may not want the support. He may say he wants to try it literally 100% on his own. That's okay, too. There's nothing wrong with letting your kid do what they want to do when they get of age and then you having a backup plan just in case they ask for it. I think that's really, you know, one of the, the hardest parts about adjusting the empty nesters is, okay, should I make a plan and when do I execute the plan? I'm actually going to learn more about that from someone that I respect and look up to. And once I get that wisdom, I'm going to give you another episode on empty nesters and how to deal with after they've already moved out. All right, that is all I have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Pray that you're blessed. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Excel Books Podcast with Molly. You can find more helpful resources and services at xelbooks.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please send us a message at xelbooks.com or email xelbooks at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again next time for more tips on work, family, and life.